The content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our July 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? A program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons, all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. The Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in this program. This program is all about books, with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state, and if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information at the end of this program. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of June at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. We're going to begin with a big, big name that, uh, frankly, we haven't heard from much lately. It's a book called Later, and it's by Stephen King. And this is a review from bookreporter.com. I want to say that Later is a return to form for Stephen King. That's partly true. Jamie Conklin is the young man who narrates the book and tells readers on the first page that he thinks it's a horror novel. He says this right after warning and apologizing that he uses the word later frequently in the telling. He is correct on both counts. Later is a horror story. And Jamie does use the word later often enough that too much wouldn't be an exaggeration. He covers a lot of years from ages 6 to 22 in a relatively short novel that reads as if the pages are greased so that minor excess can be forgiven, especially since it contains some of King's best writing even at this very late date. One can figure out pretty early on that things aren't going to be wonderful here. Jamie and his mother, a literary agent who has her ups and downs, is raising her son on her own. They're just shooting for a normal life. That is going to be a problem due to the changing fortunes of the publishing industry and Jamie's talent or curse, as the case may be, Jamie can see and converse with the dead, who kind of hang around for a few days after leaving their bodies. There's an interesting wrinkle to this. The deceased individual is incapable of lying, even when he or she doesn't want to tell the truth. Jamie's ability is pretty benevolent as he helps a newly minted widower locate a keepsake and then really does his mother a solid. However, a problem arises when Jamie uses his gift on the down low to help a police officer thwart the last deadly act of a newly deceased serial bomber. This tragic incident occurs at the story's halfway point, 
but it reverberates, for better or for worse, throughout the second half. And if you are a sensitive and imaginative soul, as I am, says the writer, for long afterwards. When someone who is aware of Jamie's ability uses him a few years later for their own designs, things go more than sideways for the young man and a few others. It's kind of obvious early on that Jamie is going to be standing at the end of the book since he is narrating it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he isn't troubled or that his journey is an easy one. You will race to the end to see where he is and how he gets there. Later is a joy to read, says the reviewer. The plot is straightforward but leaves room for a few twists, including a total surprise near the conclusion. Unlike many of King's works, the prose is restrained in terms of the verbiage, which is a nice surprise, especially considering the first-person past-tense narration. Although it doesn't go overboard on the graphic horror, there is enough to keep the images that are presented here bouncing around in your head for a long time to come. Speaking only for my myself, says the reviewer, I also will note that after reading this book, I am glad I never learned how to whistle, for the same reason that I have avoided clowns ever since I devoured it. IT, remember that one? You'll see why. If you haven't read a King novel for a while due to time constraints, or you would like an introduction to the man at or near the top of his game, Pick later up as your delightful literary poison. It sounds like a pretty intriguing book by Stephen King. It is entitled Later. Now we'll turn to a nonfiction book entitled The Light of Days, The Untold Story of Women Resistance Flight by Judith Battalion. One of the most important stories of World War II, already optioned by Steven Spielberg for a major motion picture, a spectacular searing history that brings to light the extraordinary accomplishments of brave Jewish women who became resistance fighters, a group of unknown heroes whose exploits have never been chronicled in full until now. Witnesses to the brutal murder of their families and neighbors and the violent destruction of their communities, a cadre of Jewish women in Poland, some still in their teens, helped transform the Jewish youth groups into resistance cells to fight the Nazis. With courage, guile, and nerves of steel, these ghetto girls, as they were called, paid off Gestapo guards hid revolvers in loaves of bread and jars of marmalade, and helped build systems of underground bunkers. They flirted with German soldiers, bribed them with wine, whiskey, and home cooking, used their Aryan looks to seduce them, and shot and killed them. They bombed German train lines and blew up a town's water supply. They also nursed the sick and taught children. Yet the exploits of these courageous resistance fighters have remained virtually unknown. As propulsive and thrilling as Hidden Figures in the Garden of Beasts, Band of Brothers, and A Train in Winter, 
The Light of Days at Last tells the true story of these incredible women whose courageous yet little-known feats have been eclipsed by time. Judy Battalion, the granddaughter of Polish Holocaust survivors, takes us back to 1939 and introduces us to Rynia Kukilka, a weapons smuggler and messenger who risked death traveling across occupied Poland on foot and by train. Joining Rynia are other women who served as couriers and armed fighters, intelligence agents, and saboteurs, all who put their lives in mortal danger to carry out their missions. Battalion follows these women through the savage destruction of the ghettos, arrest and internment in Gestapo prisons and concentration camps, and for a lucky few like Rinya, who orchestrated her own audacious escape from a brutal Nazi jail into the late 20th century and beyond. Powerful and inspiring, featuring 20 black-and-white photographs, The Light of Days is an unforgettable true tale of war, the fight for freedom, exceptional bravery, female friendship, and survival in the face of staggering odds. That sounds like a great book. It's called The Light of Days, The Untold Story of Women Resistance Flight by Judith Battalion. Now we'll move back into the fiction category here. This is a book entitled Without Ever Reaching the Summit, A Journey by Paolo Cognetti. Cognetti, The Eight Mountains, presents a delightful travelogue of his transformative visit to the Dolpo region of Nepal. To celebrate his 40th birthday, Cognetti leaves his home in the Italian Alps and joins with a couple of friends, a group of about 20 others, on a month-long hike through Nepal. Inspired by the trek Peter Matheson chronicled in The Snow Leopard, Cognetti sees his expedition as a pilgrimage in which the purpose is not to reach a summit or a temple, but to travel and feel welcomed by the landscape rather than challenged by it. While suffering from altitude sickness, Cognetti navigates the frothy Suli Gad River, glacier-capped mountains, ancient monasteries, a herd of blue Himalayan sheep, and tracks left by the elusive snow leopard. Along the way, he embraces the Buddhist mantra on Mani Padmi Hum, Om, the jewel in the lotus, adopts a little black dog, and, through contemplation of the snow leopard, comes to respect the unseen and untouched presence of the mountain. This lush translation captures Cognetti's impassioned descriptions of the mountains, fauna, and the many gracious people he encountered along the trail. Armchair travelers with a spiritual bent will be riveted by Cognetti's reflections. It's called Without Ever Reaching the Summit, A Journey by Paolo Cognetti. I'm going to spell that for you because I'm not sure I'm getting the pronunciation correct here. It's C-O-G-N-E-T-T-I. It's uh, either Cognetti or Cognetti, I'm not sure, but C-O-G-N-E-T-T-I. Without Ever Reaching the Summit, A Journey by Paolo Cognetti.
Next, we're going to turn to a book that uh, I think you will enjoy. It is called The Murder in the Old Bombay by Nev March. And this is set in 1892 Bombay. March's assured debut stars Jim Agnihotri, an Anglo-Indian army captain recuperating from an injury suffered on the frontier in Karachi. With little to distract him, he focuses on the sensational deaths of a 19 of 19-year-old Bacha and 16-year-old Pilo, members of a prominent Parsi family who fell from a university clock tower. Rumors swirl that the pair committed suicide, but Agni Hotri sees too many contradictions in reports about the deaths to believe it. When he reads an anguished letter to the editor in the Chronicle of India from Bacha's husband, he becomes determined to find out why Bacha and Pilo died. A friend also gives Agni Hotri a copy of Conan Doyle's second Sherlock Holmes novel, The Sign of the Four, from which he often draws inspiration. March fills the story with finely developed characters, particularly Agni Hotri, who proves a zealous investigator. She also presents an authentic view of India under British rule, while exploring the challenges faced by a character of mixed race. The heartfelt ending leaves plenty of room for a sequel. Readers won't be surprised this won the Minotaur Books Mystery Writers of America First Crime Novel Award. So it's a relatively new book. It's called Murder in the Old Bombay by Nev March. Now let's talk about a book by Martha Hall Kelly. This one is entitled Sunflower Sisters. A saga of the Civil War gathers all the usual suspects, enslaved people, slave owners, abolitionists, soldiers, and nurses, but the result is far from cliched. Kelly's ambitious tale begs to be called sweeping, but its chief virtue is the way it homes in on the microcosms, some horrific, inhabited by its three narrators. Georgie from New York, one of seven daughters of the abolitionist Woolsey family, is determined to become a nurse. She studies with Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell, America's first female medical school graduate, and strives to batter down prejudice, not just against women doctors, but women nurses. Despite her proven ability, she's often replaced at battlefield hospitals by incompetent, drunken male nurses. Gemma's family is enslaved on the Peeler Tobacco Plantation in the border state of Maryland, where the white population seems equally divided between Union and rebel sympathies. Firmly in the second camp is Anne May, who inherited the Peeler Plantation from her elderly Aunt Tandy Rose, flouting her late aunt's testamentary directive to free Peeler slaves. Anne May is bad to the bone, whips Gemma regularly, employs a brutal overseer, spends her family's dwindling funds on fripperies, is addicted to snuff, and takes advantage of her husband's absence at the front to flagrantly carry on an affair with a local merchant. 
the affair turns into a spying mission for the Confederacy, involuntarily abetted by Gemma, who, more literate than Anne May, is forced to write down Union secrets in Anne May's little red book. And that is only the beginning of Anne May's moral bankruptcy. These alternating intimate vantage points situate readers in the chaotic political, military, and social hellscapes of Civil War America, from Gettysburg to the draft riots. Cliffhangers closing each chapter keep the plot moving at a satisfying clip. Historical verisimilitude worthy of a Ken Burns documentary, but oh so much more lurid. Sounds like an exciting book, particularly if you like uh, Civil War history and novels about the Civil War. It's called Sunflower Sisters by Martha Hall Kelly. And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, an exclusive production of the Triangle Radio Reading Service. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm George Douglas. Hope you're enjoying the books that we're talking about today. Here's another new one. This is one that is uh, called Hana Khan Carries On, and it's by Uzma Jalaluddin. In Uzma Jalaluddin's sophomore novel, so this is her, actually her second novel, Hana Khan carries on, a Muslim woman tries to keep her family's halal business afloat while finding comfort in creating her own anonymous podcast. Hana Khan has plenty to worry about. Her mother's casual halal restaurant is in dire financial straits, and the Khan household has been turned upside down by the arrival of her aunt and cousin. Her only outlet is Anna's Brown Girl Rambles, a podcast that Hannah launched anonymously and views as a diary of sorts. As it slowly gains a following, Hannah starts an adorable online back and forth with a dedicated listener. What she doesn't know is that that very same listener is Aidan Shaw, who runs the competing halal eatery that is jeopardizing the Khan family business. Jalaluddin's debut novel, Error, hyperlink reference not valid, was a Pride and Prejudice-inspired journey to romance and self-fulfillment. With Hana Khan, Jalaluddin turns to rom-com classic You've Got Mail for inspiration. The bones of the Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks film are there, trading bookstores for halal food, but Jalaluddin launches this story into the 21st century. The most obvious update is Hannah's interest in podcasting and auditory forms of storytelling, but there's also the setting of Toronto's Golden Crescent neighborhood, which is home to a thriving Muslim community. Jalaluddin demonstrates how this close-knit world provides both support system and motivation for Hannah and her family throughout the novel. But she also acknowledges the depressing truth that is. It's a tall order to find someone worthy of such a brilliant and earnest heroine, but Aidan is an excellent love interest. He's genuine and charming, a perfect foil for his father's more hostile business tactics, but the novel is more focused on Hannah's journey than his own. 
There is a satisfying happily ever after at the end, but Jalaluddin explores more than just romantic love in Hanukkah. It's a story of self-love, familial love, togetherness, and compassion between neighbors, and all the different ways we express love with whom we allow into our lives. This modern romantic comedy is full of warmth and complemented wonderfully by Hannah's courageous self-determination and the scene-stealing secondary members of the Khan family. If Hannah Khan carries on is a sign of things to come, whatever Jalaluddin provides next will be inventive, extraordinary, and well worth a read. Again, this book is called Hannah Khan Carries On, and that's spelled H-A-N-A-K-H-A-N, Hannah Khan. And uh, the author is Uzma Jalaluddin, Uzma, U-Z-M-A, and Jalaluddin is J-A-L-A-L-U-D-D-I-N, Jalaluddin. It uh, sounds like a good one, and it was a very popular one last month at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. Another very popular book this past month at the Library for the Blind was My Brilliant Life by Aran Kim. It's a moving, earnest, and deeply felt exploration of a unique family and all its joys and disappointments. And utter delight, says Claire Lombardo with the New York Times, the New York Times best-selling author of the most fun we ever had, by, by the way. Here's the plot for this one. Despite being housebound due to an accelerated aging disorder, Ariam lives life to its fullest vicariously through the stories of his parents, conversations with little Grandpa Jang, his 60-year-old neighbor and best friend, and through the books he reads to visit the places he would otherwise never see. For several months, Ariam has been working on a manuscript, piecing together his parents' often embellished stories about his family and childhood. He hopes to present it on his birthday as a final gift to his mom and dad, their own falling-in-love story. As his 17th birthday approaches, Ariam moves into the long-term ward in the city hospital, bringing abrupt change to his daily life. From a new friend who might be more or less than she seems, to his loving parents who are definitely keeping something from him. There are also the challenges of the creeping darkness in his eyes and the loneliness of his shrinking connection to the world outside his window. Ariam meets these situations head on and with the support of family and friends finds joy in even the most difficult times. Interweaving the past and present of a tight-knit family, Aran Kim's My Brilliant Life evokes the full breadth of human emotions, happiness and sadness, pain and relief, emptiness and significance, masterfully exploring the power of empathy. Again, the book is called My Brilliant Life by Aran Kim, and that Aran is spelled A-E hyphen R-A-N, Kim, K-I-M. Now let's talk about a book called The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. A female apothecary secretly dispenses poisons to liberate women from the men who have wronged them. 
setting three lives across centuries on a dangerous collision course. Rule number one, the poison must never be used to harm another woman. Rule number two, the names of the murderer and her victim must be recorded in the apothecary's register. One cold February evening in 1791, at the back of a dark London alley in a hidden apothecary shop, Nella awaits her newest customer. Once a respected healer, Nella now uses her knowledge for a darker purpose, selling well-disguised poisons to desperate women who would kill to be free of the men in their lives. But when her new patron turns out to be a precocious 12-year-old named Eliza Fanning, an unexpected friendship sets in motion a string of events that jeopardizes Nella's world and threatens to expose the many women whose names are written in her register. In present-day London, aspiring historian Caroline Parswell spends her 10th wedding anniversary alone, reeling from the discovery of her husband's infidelity. When she finds an old apothecary vial near the River Thames, she can't resist investigating, only to realize she's found a link to the unsolved apothecary murders that haunted London over two centuries ago. As she deepens her search, Caroline's life collides with Nella's and Eliza's in a stunning twist of fate, and not everyone will survive. It sounds like a good one. The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. Next, a book by Charles Martin. This is entitled, When Crickets Cry. A man with a painful past, a child with a doubtful future, and a shared journey toward healing for both their hearts. It begins on the shaded town square in a sleepy southern town. A spirited seven-year-old has a brisk business at her lemonade stand, but the little girl's pretty yellow dress can't quite hide the ugly scar on her chest. Her latest customer, a bearded stranger, drains his cup and heads to his car, his mind on a boat he's restoring at a nearby lake. The stranger understands more about the scar than he wants to admit, and the beat-up bread truck careening around the corner with its radio blaring is about to change the trajectory of both of their lives. Before it's over, they'll both know there are painful reasons why crickets cry, and that miracles lurk around unexpected corners. When Crickets Cry by Charles Martin Time for one more quick summary. This is A Land More Kind Than Home by Wiley Cash. In his phenomenal debut novel, a mesmerizing literary thriller about the bond between two brothers and the evil they face, in a small North Carolina town, author Wiley Cash displays a remarkable talent for lyrical, powerfully emotional storytelling. And I will say that some reviewers say that this is likely to be held in the same enduring esteem as such American classics as To Kill a Mockingbird, Of Mice and Men, and A Separate Piece. It's a brilliant evocation of a place a heart-rending family story, a gripping and suspenseful mystery with a land more kind than home, a major American novelist enthusiastically announces his arrival. 
That is A Land More Kind Than Home by Wiley Cash. And that's all for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, go to Google NC Library for the Blind or call 1-888-388-2460. You can also use those same numbers to join the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind. That's the organization that sponsors this monthly feature on books. This program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Heard Any Good Books Lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long until next time.